Hey, everybody. Just wanted to share a, a webinar I did back in late May, and I thought you might get a bunch of takeaways out of it called Let's Go Solo, really for people that are either going solo, are solo, or just want to learn more about business development for the inevitable that may or may not ever happen. Enjoy. You're listening to Be That Lawyer, life-changing strategies and resources for growing a successful law practice. Each episode, your host, author, and lawyer coach, Steve Fretzen, will take a deeper dive, helping you grow your law practice in less time with greater results. Now, here's your host, Steve Fretzen. So I want to welcome everybody to the program today. This is called Let's Go Solo, and it's really focused on either starting a solo practice, taking your existing solo practice to the next level, or if you have nothing to do with being a solo practitioner at all, there's still some really good information if you want to go down the road or just to build your practice. I'm giving some you know, strategic and tactical advice in this program that I give to my clients, and hopefully it'll be of value to you. Uh, let me uh, get the, the screen going here for everybody watching. And again, if you have any questions, you can use the chat feature or if you want to unmute yourself and just ask the question directly, I don't mind taking a break in the middle of the presentation to, you know, to answer a question. So how to effectively start and grow your solo law practice is the program today. As I mentioned, I'm Steve Fretzen. I'm a business development coach for attorneys nationally, do a ton of work here locally in Chicago, but obviously with the coronavirus era, everything is being done virtually. And I'm my life hasn't been turned upside down too badly because of that because I was already doing about 60% of my practice and business was doing virtual coaching anyway. And I've written three books. If you haven't picked one up, uh, they're on Amazon. You can support my son's 529 today by uh, ordering a book, Sales Free Selling, which is really kind of speaking to lawyers hating sales. And, and quite frankly, I'm a sales background. I hate sales and I hate being sold to. So the idea that there's a better methodology of how to walk buyers through buying decisions, that's what that book's about. The Attorney's Networking Handbook, which is best practices on networking to build your practice through leveraging relationships. And then most recently, The Ambitious Attorney, which is actually a, a grouping of articles from my writing with the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin, which I've been doing for about four or five years. And it's about three years of my best content that I plugged into that book. So good to check that out. As I mentioned, I'm a monthly columnist for the Daily Law Bulletin, and then most recently in the last three months started the Be That Lawyer podcast. So that's a little bit about that. So let's move on to what the agenda is. You guys are looking to learn. You're looking to understand what it takes to go solo and be successful. And again, there might be some gaps in your game, and my job is to help fill those gaps and, and, and educate you on some best practices. First, we're going to talk a little bit about getting your ducks in a row, whether you're looking to go solo or you currently are solo. I want to give you some strategic advice about that identifying your sweet spot in the marketplace. I was talking with David a few minutes ago on the call and he's, you know, he's doing this and he's doing that and he's helping out here and helping out there. And again, that might be, you know, that might be helpful to the family and friends. But again, we also want to look at it being very targeted in our approach. Part of that can be done through writing a, a marketing plan. Most attorneys, and if I had to put a number on it, I'd say 95% don't have a marketing plan. And that's really a problematic because what ends up happening is you end up just kind of winging it from day to day instead of having a, a targeted strategic approach and knowing what you're doing every day to build your client base, which, as you guys all know, determines wealth and determines sustainability and, 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 and uh, independence. 
creating a unique infomercial. This is something I've been teaching for many years. There's thousands of ways to write one. I've got one in particular that I have been teaching and working with that seems to be working pretty well. I heard someone do an infomercial the other day, a lawyer who does IP, just the greatest guy. He's got amazing stories. He's got a 30 year background, but he went through a list of literally everything he does. And after he got to the eighth thing, I was done. Like I was checked out. So we really want to have an infomercial that sucks people in, makes them want to either ask questions or just be engaged with what you're talking about as it relates to yourself and in your practice. Growing your brand and networking on LinkedIn, I think it's an underutilized tool, either misunderstood or just not utilized properly. And so we want to talk about some best practices there. And then lastly, is just using some of the networking methodologies that I've been teaching to help you get better results with your networking. So we'll go from there. Starting off with really just getting your ducks in a row. As a solo practitioner, you've got to you know, make sure that you're really organized and, and uh, you know, you're looking for this balance between family and work and, 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 just, and, and also making sure that you're not overspending on certain technology, softwares, office space, et cetera. So I'll go through a few of these and then I'm going to bring my buddy Jeremy into the conversation to just talk about some of the things he advises people on. Uh, he's got a company called Operation Palm Tree. And if you guys can figure out what that means, you know, it's just living a better life and getting to that palm tree, right? So he's going to talk a little bit about how to get there. So number one that I kind of advise on is, is you got to have a contact list and you might have people in LinkedIn and people in Outlook and people in Gmail on your phone. You really need to have a centralized list of all your key relationships because when it comes to scheduling meetings and, and getting in touch with people and sending out emails and newsletters and things that you all should be doing, if you don't have a really good list, I think it can really hinder your ability to be effective in how you're going to reach out and, and, and connect and reconnect with people. Develop a business plan and a budget. I think Jeremy's going to talk a little bit about that. Organizing a marketing plan, which I'm going to get into in a few minutes. But again, you want to invest your time and your money wisely. You still have to consider, even as a solo, that you are billable, right? And that your time is literally money. And so every bad meeting you take, every uh, you know uh, consultation that you take that's not qualified and it ends up being a three or five hour you know string along nightmare, you want to do better at, at, at really making sure that you're focused and targeted in how you spend your time as it relates to networking and prospecting. Okay. And then you got to just be prepared for all the different aspects of the business. And there's a bunch of points I'll, I'll get into. And then I think Jeremy will probably get into more detail on. So what type of business that you have, uh, what's going to be uh, the best way to go from a tax perspective, insurance, uh, obviously you have to have a good choice on, on, on the type of insurance you choose. And again, I think what, one thing that I know Jeremy did really well is he spent the time to really organize all the different options and evaluate them so that he could advise people, lawyers on what's the best route. So as opposed to you having to go through that, that time and effort that it's going to take to choose the right uh, insurance you know, group for you or, or policy, whatnot, he's, he's kind of cut to the chase on that. Staffing, can you go through this with no staff, some staff? I've got a, a sort of a general rule of thumb. I call the, the $30 an hour rule of thumb. If you're billable at Two fundy to five hundred an hour, and you're spending you know if you add up the hours on administrative marketing and other efforts, and you're spending you know ten hours a week or whatever twenty hours a week and you're doing your own books and all these things, think about that, and that could be time that you spend getting in front of people or billing hours 
you really you know may want to consider getting a virtual assistant or a couple different assistants doing different things. Personally, I have a bookkeeper that I've been working with for years. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal in details and I don't want to have to deal with you know collections and all that stuff. It just comes off so much better from having that outsourced and the amount of time that I, not only the time that I would spend on that, but the, the distaste and dislike I have for dealing with the books. And that doesn't mean that I don't look at monthly reports or that I just ignore it. I don't want anyone taking advantage of me, but I also know that I've got someone I can trust on a, on a, in a variety of categories where staffing. And then again, you might want to bring someone in full time. If you're in real estate and you've got, you know, 150 to 200 transactions a year, you know, yeah, you're going to want a paralegal, you know, you're going to want to staff up. So looking at that, client intake, how are you taking in calls? How are you taking in emails? How are you managing that? And how are you staying in touch with your client base to determine you know, that, that they're going to stay loyal to you long term? Obviously, marketing, looking at your logo, your website, your social media, what's the plan for that? Who are you using to put together your site? Is it something you threw up in 30 minutes yourself? Or is it something that is actually going to drive business and traction and, and build your brand? And again, there's things you can do on the cheap and there's things that you probably need to invest in, especially if you're looking to drive traffic to your website. My website is my hub for everything. So my newsletter drives traffic, my social media drives traffic. If I don't have a solid website that is built for conversion, for people to call and email me, for it to drive branding and, and, and name recognition, that's a real problem. So you want to consider those things in, 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 in going solo. And again, it doesn't have to cost a million dollars, but it, it might be something that you need to budget for. And then, of course, technology, you know, how are you, you know, focusing your database management, your CRM, email platforms and billing, et cetera. And then, of course, I'm going to, you know, not a self-promotion, but the point is you got to be an expert at business development. If you're going out on your own and you haven't taken the time to read books, listen to podcasts, try to pick up ideas and, and, and best practices from people that have done it longer than you, uh, and you've been kind of a a service-based attorney for many years, or even if you've been doing business development, but maybe not as efficiently as you could, think about it. If I mentioned earlier, time is money and you're not being efficient with your time in business development. And instead of taking 10 hours to do something, it takes you 20 or 30. You can see where this is going to go over time. So a, a quick story I have is, is a guy that I interviewed a while ago. Um, we just did a networking exchange. This guy was promoted as like an amazing networker. And when I met him, I immediately said, holy crap, this guy is energy. He's energy. He's polished. He's, this guy is just amazing. Like I was just blown away by him. And I just was curious. I had to ask. I asked him, I said, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being like the most exceptional networker that you would see on the street and a one being a total disaster, where would you say you fall? And he was pretty confident. He said, I don't know, Steve, I'm probably a nine or a 10. And then I asked him and I said, all right, I've got one more question and please don't take this the wrong way. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being that you have more business than you can handle, better results than you ever expected. And a one is you barely have, you're getting any value out of networking as far as direct business. Where would you say you fall? And he was being honest with me and I could see his whole, you know, kind of body, you know, kind of melt in front of me. But he said he was like a two or a three. And I was like, okay, so I see what's going on. The guy can glad hand and the guy can get out there and, and be energy and, and have energy and meet lots of people and build his brand from just, just putting time and effort. But if you're not getting the value, if you're not getting the actual business out of the exchange, then that's a problem. You know, that's, again, that's, that's lost time and years that he could be, could be doing things much more efficiently. So again, it's important to make sure that you're doing 
business development marketing that you're doing it right or bringing in the right people to help you do it right. Oh, I'm sorry. Before I move on. All right. So I'm going to stay on this page. I'm going to bring in Jeremy. Jeremy's the master solo guy. So Jeremy, if you would take five, 10 minutes and just kind of add on to what I've built here to kind of give some really good advice and tips to the group uh, as relates to going solo, that'd be terrific. Sure thing, Steve. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. You sound clear as a bell. You know, for me, after I sorted out all the logistics, by way of background, I've been practicing in Illinois for 18 years. Up until nine months ago, they were all with uh, AMLA 100 or AMLA 200 law firms for the last 14 years. Before I went solo, I was with Schiff Harden, where I was a partner in the construction law group for the last seven years. So I was taking a bit of a leap of faith here to uh, launch my solo from about nine months ago, particularly because uh, number one, I've got four young kids under the age of 10. And number two, I'm not somebody that had, you know, a book of business, you know, many times in excess of what uh, I would expect to make in salary. I, I think that a lot of people who saw me leap were sort of surprised and I just sort of had the confidence that I could do it. And it was because I spent about three years or so listening to podcasts and doing research and trying to figure out what are all the things that I need to know? And, and I'm going to get into some of the specifics that Steve has here on his slide in a second, but probably the most important thing that I realized in the course of this, and I think some of you might already be there because you're on this presentation, is if you really take all of the hours that you spend away from your family, away from home, away from the things you like to do for fun, take all the hours, billable, non-billable, hours that you're on the Metro, hours that you're doing business development, and then divide those by what do you really take home. You're going to find that you're making an hourly rate uh, currently in your, in, your, you know, in your law firm jobs, I assume, uh, you know, that is much lower than you think. So that's really what you have to ask yourself is can you get over that, that level on your own? And you know, when I did the math, it became apparent to me that I could cut my rate almost in half. And as long as I build two and a half hours a day, I could probably you know, cover, cover my, my monthly nut with the family and the office space that I have here. And so, you know, once I did that math, it was just a question of exactly how I was going to go about going solo, not, you know, whether I was going to do it. And I think a few things that uh, Steve mentioned are really important. And I was laughing because he, he talked about having a good contact list and, and I've had you all on mute and I've literally been working away right now to take all of the new email uh, traffic that I've had this month and put it into my contacts database because the last business day of the month, which is today, is the day that my uh, e-newsletter goes out, where I've got links to video and, and articles that I've written, and uh, a thousand or so people are going to get that today at 3.45 p.m. It's timed strategically in the day. It's timed at a strategic point in the month, because it's the day before I do my invoicing, the, first, uh, the next business day of the next month. And so I've literally been trying to figure out who are the 20 or 30 new people that I met this month that I want to uh, try to make sure that I reach out to. And so having a contact list is extremely important, particularly in these COVID-19 days. I don't know when we're all going to be back together again, but I have felt that over the last couple months, uh, you know, as I've been chatting with my wife, I've had a, 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 an advantage uh, over a lot of lawyers who are, you know, in their, their early to mid 40s like me, because I am top of mind. I have hired out, to Steve's point, uh, a lot of the social media, uh, and I'm trying to do it as well as uh, Steve does. But, uh, you know, I've got a YouTube channel with some videos. I've got regular social media posts that have specific content geared for specific days. You know, I've got this e-newsletter, and, and it all revolves around 
you know, who are you targeting and who's on your list? And, and I really feel like I haven't missed a beat in coronavirus because I was already trying to reach out to people that are in my world digitally beforehand. So having that contact list of all your key relationships, you know, is very important. You know, social media is key. Um, you know, I was a late comer to the idea of social media and uh, I was probably the last guy in the world to jump on Facebook. But I find LinkedIn in particular to be an invaluable resource for me to, to reach out to people. And uh, I am getting business through some of these digital marketing efforts. You know, and before you can really put yourself out there in that way, you've got to do what Steve did and what I hoped I did a good job of doing, which is branding. You got to have a professional logo. You've got to have a color scheme. You've got to do some of the things that make it seem like, you know, you're for real. My, you know, LinkedIn profile has a picture. I think most people do. But when I see one without a picture, I think, who is this person? I think it's sort of the same thing when you launch a business, you know, next to your business on social media. If there is a, a great box, logo, you know, that you can fit in to uh, brand your company, that's, that's not good. But if you look at Steve's webpage right next to his company's name, you can see there's a little logo. So I think having that brand, you know, is important. And, you know, I mentioned my newsletter. I for years wrote article after article that was published in, you know, in print media and, you know, nobody ever read any of them, but this week I banged out three articles. They're up on my website. They're going out in my social media. And one of the most exciting things that I've seen this month because of the investment that I'm making in my website to Steve's point is that now that people that are coming to my website organically, just searching uh, construction law related terms on Google, that is now uh, surpassing in terms of numbers, the number of people that are clicking on the, the link with my email auto signature. So I'm very excited that, you know, this writing that I'm doing now, rather than putting it in a, in a periodical that no one's going to read, I am doing it digitally in a way that is driving traffic to my site. And, you know, one of the things that I think sort of sits atop everything that Steve is talking about, and I can't agree with his points more, is you know, thinking about where you are right now and where you need to be. And if you're like me, you've got these financial obligations. I don't have an MBA. I've never launched a business. I'm not that great at numbers. Uh, and, you know, although I've got some Excel skills, which helped a lot. You know, one of the things that I needed to figure out after I decided that the numbers compel me to go solo is realistically, am I going to be able to survive what comes in the first few months? And so I did you know, create a, you know, 12 month practice, you know, cash flow spreadsheet where, you know, across the vertical axis, I've got all the months, January, February. And then on the, uh, on the, ver the vertical axis, I've got all the different things I thought that I would need to spend. And then I made some assumptions about cash flow where my savings were. And I was able to kind of figure out if this is a worst case scenario, how long do I have before I run out of money? And, you know, in addition to you know comforting myself by having that analysis, which told me that I had six months or so runway before I would really need to start thinking about liquidating 401ks and that sort of thing, is when you look at the expenses that you're expecting, it's a great exercise in figuring out how you're going to practice. You know, if you could figure out what do you need to buy, and you can ask yourself why do I need to buy it, you know, you can really start to put together a business plan for how you're going to run things. You know, of course, there's the registrations and the ARDC and your bar license and all that stuff. But are you going to have office space like I decided to? You know, what kind of practice management software are you going to use? 
Are you going to add a, a CRM app onto that? Are you going to have a Westlaw a subscription or are you going to use something else? You know, when you think through all the different things that you need to buy and you put them on the spreadsheet in that vertical axis in order to make the numbers work out, you can really kind of figure out, you know, I don't need this. I do need that. I've got to cut costs. What can go? You know, what's absolutely necessary? And without even realizing it, as I was trying to put together numbers around the idea of uh, going solo, not just in terms of I think I can generate this revenue, but on the cost side of things and the operation side of things, how's it going to work? Putting together that, that spreadsheet, you know, proved invaluable to me. And, you know, what this all did, and it was a three-year process that actually was not designed initially to have me go solo. My wife's been a solo lawyer for 10 years, and I've been trying to find ways to use technology to make her more efficient. One of the things that I did without really realizing it, which has become invaluable to me, is create systems around me so that I can try to really just practice law. You know, like Steve, I don't get into QuickBooks. You know, I've got a remote bookkeeper that can can securely go into the back door of my practice management software and tell me whether, you know, the IOLTA balances that I have there match up with, you know, what they're seeing at my bank account. And, you know, they can look at my accounts receivable, accounts payable, provide me every month with, you know, reporting that I need. And my CPA watches over them to make sure that we're doing things right for tax reasons, but also because, you know, you want to have a couple layers of security there. I've built these systems. And if you are working at law firms, one of the things that might scare you a little bit is, you know, when you walk in the door there, you know how to turn on your computer, you know what comes next with your assistant, you know how to put your time in, you know how the bills are done, you know how conflicts are tracked, you know how engagement letters are done, all this stuff. I needed to recreate that for myself. And by preparing the spreadsheet of all my costs, I was able to kind of think about what I need, how I'm going to use it. And now one of the most comforting things that I've I've, I've come to appreciate my practice is that no matter where I am, whether I'm, you know, early in the sales funnel, trying to convert people, getting calls to my, um, you know, office, who's handling them, contacts through my website, accounting, uh, you know, all of these different things. I have a system. I've got software. And so coming into work these days is not all that different than going into work in the big firm. When I get inputs in my direction, if they're interesting and something I want to do with them, I have a place to go in the systems. Hey, Jeremy, I know that in addition to practicing law, as it shows up on your screen, Operation Palm Tree is a business that, you know, side business you've set up to essentially help people that are going solo or that are currently solo to help them get organized and get effective and efficient with their time and money and everything. So that could be something for someone on this call or on this presentation or whatever to, to, to reach out to you. Do you want to just take maybe 30 seconds and, and share what that is and also how they get in touch with you? And then we're going to get back to the, to the nuts and bolts. Yeah, this is decidedly a side gig and I'm not, you know, screaming from the rooftops about it because I don't want my clients to think otherwise. But yeah, my wife and I launched this business called Operation Palm Tree. That was the code name we used for my, you know, mission, my secret mission of going solo. You can find me at www.operationpalmtree.com. And the idea is just that I spent three years figuring out how to do this. And uh, it's not rocket science, but, you know, a lot of effort went into it. And I wanted a way to kind of share that with other people. And the last thing I'll say about that, Steve, is that it took me three years to launch my first website, my first business. It took me about three weeks to launch my second because I already figured out all of the different things I needed to do. So that's uh, what recently happened in the last two months with the Operation Palm Tree. So people can go to that website and that's a way to get Jeremy's information and, and email if you want to reach out to him directly. Again, if you're looking to 
get those efficiencies. That's stuff that I I tend to not spend as much time on. I, I'm working on business plans and marketing plans and things like that. But when it gets into the nuts and bolts of what type of business structure, what type of insurance, what type of CRM, what type of marketing, you know, stuff, website and logo, you know, he, he may be a better fit to advise you on that type of stuff than me. Uh, so I definitely would encourage anyone interested to reach out to Jeremy directly. Okay. We're going to move on. We got about uh, just under 30 minutes left. I'm probably only going to need 25 to get through what we have left. This is really, again, going to be real more marketing and business development focused uh, moving forward. And so something that I work on with my clients on a fairly regular basis is trying to figure out where their sweet spot is in the marketplace and what they do best. And you may have heard of this SWOT analysis before. It's a very old marketing technique to essentially look at what are your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And the strengths and weaknesses are internal to you. So my strength is my contact list. My strength is my depth of expertise. Okay. And we can, you know, list out our strengths, weaknesses. I'm too, uh, I'm too on time. I'm too organized. No, I'm just kidding. That's what you say in a job interview, but uh, a weakness could be, Oh, I hate big networking events or, you know, I, I need to be more of an expert at, you know, running my firm or I'm, I'm, I'm terrible with organization and time management. It's good to write those things down because they might be areas that you might either avoid or things that you can actually fix. So for example, if you said, I'm a terrible networker, well, that's a fixable thing because that's a learned skill. It's not something people are born with or not born with. So it's good as an exercise to just write down what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. Those are internal to you that could be beneficial to how you brand yourself, how you approach the marketplace, you know, leveraging the strength of being a very social person to get value out of the boards you're on or the networking groups you're in better than maybe you have in the past. And then opportunities and threats are more external in the marketplace. So what are the opportunities that exist in the marketplace right now? You know, David mentioned earlier, he's being asked to do estate plans. Well, let's say that you become better at estate plans and you actually enjoy doing them. You may say, you know what, this is something I see as an opportunity right now. Everybody needs an estate plan because 100,000 people just died and who knows how many more and people need to get their affairs in order, quite frankly. Okay. And if you don't have an estate plan and you've got kids, I'm not going to shame you, but you know, kind of shame on you. Like that's pretty important. That's like not having health insurance right now. That's just insane. Okay. So what are the opportunities in the marketplace and then what are the threats? You know, obviously there's a lot of threats in the marketplace. Businesses closing down, uh, people not being able to pay, the list goes on and on. So that's an exercise you can do on your own that I think would be helpful uh, leading into some of the things we're about to get into. Another uh, effective thing to find your sweet spot, research your competition. Think about what they're doing and maybe there's something you could emulate or maybe it's something that you want to do different than what they're doing. Okay. A great way to identify what maybe your differentiator is or your unique uh, business proposition might be is speak with some of your clients. They may give you some direct feedback that could be really important to how you go about your business. I'll give a quick example. There's a firm in the city that a few years ago interviewed their clients, identified that responsiveness was the most important thing to their client base. And therefore they changed their entire marketing structure to focus on being the most responsive labor and employment firm that there is. And if I say the name of the firm, some of you are going to nod because you'll know who I'm talking about. It's Laner Muchen. Okay. And they put up a two hour return call guarantee policy up on their website, business cards. 
it was their full-blown marketing effort and it paid off huge dividends for them. And it was because they learned from their clients what they do better, faster, stronger than anyone else. And again, whenever possible, do what you do best. If you're the best litigator that you know, or top, you know, 10 that you know, you know, you're going to want to really target and focus on making that brand uh, higher and better and stronger than it currently may be. Those are going to be things that are going to be important to your growth and to your long-term sustainability. Part of that branding could also be in, in developing a marketing plan. And as I mentioned earlier, right at the beginning, that most attorneys do not have a marketing or business plan that they're following. And that's like taking a road trip blindfolded, you know, without any type of, you know, compass or GPS. That's not the way we travel. If we're going to take a trip, we want a GPS, we want it mapped out. We want to know where the best resort is, where the best restaurants are, where the best, you know, I want to see the largest ball of twine in the world. Whatever it is that you're, you know, that you're thinking you want to, you know, see and do on your trip, the more organized you are, typically the better the trip's going to be. And not everybody works like that, but I think people that are, are looking to kind of see the road ahead of them, I know I'm, I'm a planner. So for example, if I take a trip to Spain or Italy, I'm not just going to just show up with a, you know, a stick in a bag and like a, you know, like a, like a, what's it called? A, like a carpet bag or something like that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to plan that thing out. So that's really what we're talking about. And I'm going to help you sort of give you the steps for writing a plan. And I'm going to make this deal with everybody on the call right now. If you take the time and it may be as little as two hours to write a plan along the lines of what I'm going to share with you right now and you email it to me, I will take the time to review it, give you feedback, and hopefully you may have a polished plan that you can use for the rest of the year. So that's a, that's a deal I'm making. There's no charge. There's no fee. I'm doing this as a courtesy to help you get organized with how you're going to do your marketing and your business development. The first thing you want to start with is what's your objective, okay? Is that you want to pick up five new clients? Is that you want to get from 200,000 to 400,000 in origination? Determine what you want to achieve in the next six to 12 months. Make that your objective. It's one sentence. I will and write it out. I will hit 350,000 by, you know, June 2021. That's all it needs to be. It can be as it's one sentence. There's no detail. Where the detail comes in is next in determining what your strategies are. How are you going to achieve that objective? And my, my thought is always about going after low hanging fruit. So, for example, should you join five networking groups where you're going to be essentially meeting a bunch of strangers when you have 150 clients already in your network? You already have developed a tremendous network of friends and family and, and colleagues and clients that you could tap into. So look at the different options I've put up on the board here and determine where you should be spending your time. And I spend my time, just to give you my story, is getting referrals from happy clients, number one. Number two is I've developed strategic partners that also have large lists of lawyers that we share with each other. So I've got a list, they've got a list. We try to get each other into each other's contacts. Uh, Josh Lerner, just as an example, does that with me on a fairly regular basis. We sit down and we try to figure out how can I help him improve the lives of my clients and people I know. And quite frankly, you know, he works with a lot of attorneys that are looking to go from uh, associate to partner or partner to equity, and they need my attention to help get them to the next level. So he refers me on that level. And then the third thing is this speaking. If I can educate people on what I do and what I teach, again, you can either use that in good health, or you might say, you know what, I think I need a little more attention than that. And I might want to talk with Steve separately 
and that's an option for you. And then we can, we can work as partners to help grow, grow your book. But you can see here on, on the list that there's things from speaking and writing to online lead generation and everything else. So you're going to want to write down one, two, three, four of those strategies and consider that those are the best ways for you to get business. Now, still not a lot of detail there. Where we get into the detail is really looking at the tactics. Tactics are the actionable things that you're doing every day, every week, and every month to achieve that strategy. So if the strategy is leveraging the low-hanging fruit as it relates to friends, family, clients, your network, okay, then you're going to want to write a list of tactics that basically speak to how do you plan, how do you execute, and how do you follow through to accomplish those things, okay? So almost think of it like you're telling a story. There's always a beginning that sets up the story. There's a middle that kind of sets up all the plots and people and backgrounds. And then there's an end that kind of wraps it up or a twist that kind of, oh, wow, what a great ending, okay? That's how you want to think about your plan. And if you miss any one of those three parts, that's going to be problematic because that's like watching a great movie and then stopping 30 minutes to the end and saying, "Ah, I don't need to know how it ends. Who does that? Nobody, right? You want to see the ending. So you want to make sure you've got all three of those covered and as specific as you can be, okay? Now, obviously, I want to give a little bit of a sample. This is a very uh, short sample. I can send you and would, would send you, if you email me, steve at fretson.com, a more specific, longer, full-page sample of what I'm talking about, what this outline could look like for you. But to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, it's starting off with the strategy at the top, leveraging my existing database, friends, family, clients to obtain quality introductions. Again, your Uncle Bill who owns a company and knows lots and lots of vendors and people and he's just well connected at the golf club or whatever, he probably could refer you business, but you've never talked to him about it. You've never asked him about it. You've never had that conversation. Okay. Meanwhile, you're his favorite nephew. Well, you know, what's holding you back? Well, it could be that you don't have an approach. You don't have proper language. You're not comfortable with that. Well, that's got to be a part of your plan, okay? So determining your contact list and rating them A, B, or C based on specific definitions, that could be something that you find value in. It could be that you're going to set a goal to reach out to a certain number of them, and maybe you need to create some scripts to do that, which I just mentioned. You need to track your progress. How, you know, did you hit your numbers and how many people did you reach out? What happened? What's next? How do you follow through? right? And then are you going to complete the list in any kind of given time frame? I mean, if you say that you're going to complete a list and you don't set some time aside or set a deadline to do it or give yourself a nice treat or reward if you do it, probably it's not going to get done. And what happens if you don't have a list, you don't have scripts, you don't have things in front of you that help to kind of get the, the story started, then you're not going to ex- execute and you're not going to follow through. You're just going to let month after month after month go by. And it's like, it's never going to happen. So. You need to get some, some, some deadlines set for yourself to make sure that you're progressing through this, okay? All right, so that's really the plan. So again, if you send me an email and you want the larger sample or you write up your plan and you want me to review it and give you some feedback, all on the table for anyone on this call. The fact that you're taking your morning for an hour to spend with me leads me to believe that you're interested in learning some things or, or, or improving what you currently know. And again, I'll, I'm happy to be a part of that in any way, shape, or form I can. So let's also look at what's changed in the legal marketplace. Um, you know, clearly coronavirus is a massive, you know, uh, determinant or, or, or benefit depending on how you look at it. And of course, we want to, you know, be solemn about what's going on out there with the death and, and with, with all the people getting it. 
uh, but it's changed the legal marketplace significantly and, and virtual being a main thing. So we want to look at what's changed. Internet's changed, you know, how we market ourselves, social media, AI is continues to get better and better. That's going to be an impact. Competition, more attorneys than ever before. It's a fact. So you're, you've got to do things to, to compete. You know, when I got into this in 2008, uh, because of the recession, and I'm not a lawyer, but I, and I never worked with lawyers, it was because the competition was so fierce and because the market uh, determined that people were getting knocked out of jobs and getting their comp cut and other reasons, that business development became a bigger part of what determines success as a lawyer. And so we really have to think about how we're going to compete and how we're going to get our share of the pie because there's only so much business and there's so many people competing. You've got to do more than the other guy. You've got to do more than other people. Specialization, uh, obviously a lot more benefits than negatives these days. I think if you're not specialized, you want to consider that being known for something specific is better than not being known for everything. So you can figure out over time how to specialize or you can just make a determination up front based on what you do best, where your client base is, where you see the opportunity that that's where you want to go. But I can tell you that I did not determine that I was going to work with attorneys uh, when the recession hit in 2008 and, and push all my chips in. It really took me about three years of working with attorneys and a lot of other businesses. I probably worked in over 50 industries from, I mean, crazy stuff, things you wouldn't even know are businesses I've worked with. A Caribbean medical school, I mean, teaching them how to do intake and how to, you know, turn people from, you know, tire kickers to real buyers. And they're dealing with, you know, very large investments to the Chicago Tribune, Canon, and, and, and um, working with the JUF. So specialization happens either over time based on the market or based where you're determining you want to spend your time. But my determination working exclusively with lawyers was I wanted to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond than being kind of a small fish, nobody in a very large pond. And so once I realized that I worked well with attorneys and saw that about 80 to 85% of my total business was coming from lawyers and law firms, it made it a fairly easy decision. But then of course I had to change everything. I had to change my logo, my website, my, all my marketing is now focused on helping people to be that lawyer and do that. And of course, adjustments in marketing and advertising and ARDC rules changing and how you can market your business differently than 10 and 20 and 30 years ago. And of course your book size determines success, freedom, and sustainability. My dad's a retired attorney now, 15, 17 years, but you know, you couldn't really you know, he didn't have to make calls. He didn't have to go to networking events. He was just a kick-ass attorney and he knew, and he was a generalist. He did everything really well. And uh, the things that he didn't do, he'd refer out and get paid a fee on it. Uh, but, you know, today it's a very different story. I mean, there's so many attorneys and, and there's, again, a, a certain amount of pie. So you're going to want to, you know, look at, at the book being your, you know, maybe the second most important thing next to being a great lawyer. Okay. So how to effectively compete? Knows your pros and cons in your space. Uh, do your research. What's your competition doing? What does their branding look like? Who's the best and brightest? If you're an aviation, you know, personal injury at competing against Bob Clifford, you might want to look at what he's doing. You might want to look at his social media posts. You know, be be a, an observer of other professionals, not so that you could copy them, but that maybe you could mirror their best practices and take your own spin on it. Reading up on industry trends and thought leadership. Uh, when Jeremy talks about writing and when I think about writing, I think about what's going on. I think about what's relevant. How can I add value in the current environment? And that's really important for you to figure out what you're going to you know, write about and, and post about and video, you know, create video. 
Talk to your clients, as I mentioned earlier, to understand the trends and how they see it, how, how have their needs changed. Leave your desk, get out and meet people. Now, obviously that's changed, but uh, you know, again, I think as things open up, uh, coffee meetings and having lunches outside, at least in the North Shore, that's opening up today. Uh, in the city, I think it's going to take a little longer, but that's something that's certainly possible now in some areas. Okay. And of course, building your personal brand and looking at differentiating yourself, really important. Uh, Bob Clifford, uh, you know, a key story there. I was actually in a plane crash, if you can believe that, in 1996, and I broke both of my arms. So if you can imagine not having arms, absolutely sucks. You definitely want at least one arm to be able to scratch your face or eat or do other things I won't mention. But uh, not bathroom stuff. Anyway, uh, the point is, is that my dad shoved a phone into my ear when I was laying in bed and he said, Steve, talk to Bob. He's your attorney. And I was sure enough, it was Bob Clifford. So there's my Bob Clifford story, but you know, he represented me, his firm in this plane crash situation. I won't get into details. Great story over a beer, by the way, uh, quite tragic and horrible. And I probably need a couple of gulps of alcohol to tell the full thing but survived it. And I'm grateful every day for it. But Bob Clifford is known not only for personal injury, but he has really figured out the whole aviation thing and become an expert at it. I don't know too much about Jeffrey Leving. I've heard mixed things, but you know, he's someone that has built that brand around father's rights. And then I also want to mention Dahlia Saper, who's a friend of mine and she's an IP, but focusing on really cool stuff like entertainment and, and sports and things like that, where she's known, you know, very well in her space. And so keeping in mind, business development's a learned skill. Here's some things that I'm going to kind of teach you and give you a couple of skills to take away from today, specifically on business development. Number one is thinking about not only your differentiator, but also your infomercial and how to create a differentiator. As I mentioned, speaking to clients, they might be some, a group that gives you an idea about that, but think about what you do better than anyone else or what you do as good as anyone else. Okay. And if you say, Steve, I don't do much well. Well, fix that. You know, you're not going to you're not going to be, you know, well known by your clients and by people in your industry if you're not doing things really really well. So hone your craft sort of number 1 and then number 2 is, you know, build it from there and you can create a differentiator around that. What is no one else saying? You know, I mentioned earlier Laner Muchen. Well, no one else has the quijones to say that they're going to return calls within 2 hours. Well, they figured out a way to do it and they marketed the junk out of it and it re- worked really well for them. So when you think about a differentiator, I'm going to ask you to, to put it through two litmus tests. Number one is, is it something that no one else is saying? And number two, is it something people care about? So a two-hour return call policy, no one else is saying it, is it something people care about? Well, yeah, they surveyed their clients. Responsiveness was number one on the list. So if you can figure out what you can say that no one else is saying and figure out that it matters that's going to be something that's a differentiator. So my differentiator is I work exclusively with lawyers and law firms. Okay. Is that something no one else is saying? I would say it's not, it's, it's, there are people saying that, but it's, it's more limited than, than just being a sales coach. And the second thing, is that not something that lawyers care about? The question is absolutely. They would rather work with a specialist who's worked with thousands of attorneys than someone who is working in 50 different industries like I used to. Okay. There's a book called Blue Ocean. Don't have to read it. Uh, and I apologize to the author. But um, it basically, it says the sea is bloodied red with competition. Go where the blue ocean is. That's essentially it. And that's what you want to look for. What are you doing and saying that's unique that is going to separate you from the pack? Okay. And you know lawyers in every industry, every practice area that have done that. And you want to consider doing that as well. 
And then of course, try it, test it, see if it's real, see if it works, see if it's, if it's catchy, catching on, you know, catching on, that type of thing. Okay. So let's talk about how we then can take that differentiator that you create tomorrow or you create over six months of, of kind of figuring it out and put it into an elevator pitch, you know, infomercial, if you will. Here are the steps that I teach and I'm kind of cooking through this because I know we've only got about seven minutes left. Number one is explain who you are and what you do. Okay. Or begin with a short story. So is this something where you only have 25 seconds, like you're in an elevator, or if you're at a networking group that only gives you a limited amount of time to do your infomercial, you're going to cut to the chase pretty quick and give your highlights. Or in some instances, like I run a networking group for lawyers where everybody gets about three minutes to talk and you could really give your elevator pitch and give a short story or give some examples of what makes you better, faster, stronger. And, And those are great things that I think people really care about. Use some pain points to pull in the listener. And so pain points are different than features and benefits. So like a CPA that says, we do tax, we do audit, we do this, we do that. And they just go on. Like I mentioned that lawyer the other day, uh, just listing off all the things that he does. And I was just like, by number like eight, I can't believe I lasted to that. But I was like checked out. So we want to use pain points. And I'll explain what that is to pull in the listener. We want to use our differentiator to kind of explain why we're different or unique. And then we want to, again, maybe there's a call to action that you might need or use, especially if you're speaking to a group to kind of remind them of your name or say, here's what's next if you're interested, okay? Or if you know somebody. So it's not one size fits all. You've got individual people you're talking to, groups that you're talking to, things you might say at the beginning of a presentation, et cetera. But here's an example. Here's mine that I, you know, I continually improve and update, but I'm asking a question. What are your primary concerns? What are the primary concerns attorneys have with networking and business development? It gobbles up billable hours. It's a wild goose chase. They feel salesy and unprofessional doing it. And it doesn't lead to anything. So what's the point? So if those are pain points that you're feeling, right, or, or have one or even one of those four, then that's going to draw you into saying, hey, maybe this guy has some answers for me. Then I talk about, you know, lack of planning. It's things you never learned in law school. And then I talk a little bit about what makes me unique, working with attorneys, putting together what I consider to be a crush course instead of a crash course. And then it's saying, hey, if you're serious, no more messing around. Maybe it's something that you want to talk to me about. I only work with the most committed, interested, coachable attorneys. I don't want to work with anyone who's kind of kicking tires or that's just sort of just going to do things halfway. That's like, you know, picking someone to be on your team and that guy just wants to kind of, you know, kick the dust on the the baseball field. That's not a great player for your team. I'm looking to coach strong players. And so that's what I'm doing is in some cases trying to turn people away from working with me if they're not really serious, but maybe they know someone who is. So this is my example. And again, it's tweaked up and down based on what I'm trying to accomplish. Okay. A couple of thoughts on networking on LinkedIn in particular, do your research first, mainly thinking about who you're targeting to meet. You should really have three targets. Okay, anyone outside of these three targets, you may want to consider not connecting with or not meeting with for an extended period of time. Prospective clients, absolutely. Prospective strategic partners, so other people that can refer you business, other lawyers, other CPAs, consultants, et cetera. And then centers of influence, people that know everybody, the mayor of a town, the wealth manager who's just, just, you know, he's running, you know, networking groups, like the person knows everybody. Those are really good people to connect with, okay? And so you're going to want to do that. And then when you're connecting with those targets, you want to use your existing network as leverage. Look for those inside connections on LinkedIn. So again, if I pull up Jeremy's connections and I see that he knows a few lawyers that I'd like to meet, 
I could email Jeremy and say, hey, Jeremy, I see you know these two or three attorneys. How well do you know them? And do you think that any of them would be interested in talking with me about what I do? They're, they're ambitious. They're interested, that type of thing. And he, he picks one out of the three and says, yes. And I'll talk about how to make the introduction in a moment. And try to leverage the best relationships. Another thing that I do is I try to comment on and share other people's posts. So when Jeremy puts out a post that I think is really good or insightful, I want to either share it or I want to comment on it. And what that does is it gets a little more energy around his post. And I actually ask my clients and and my strategic partners, including Jeremy and Josh and some other people, to comment and share and like my posts. And one that I did recently when I hit a thousand downloads on my podcast, I definitely got, instead of like three or 400 views, I got like 2,500, 3,000 views, 12 comments, 27 likes on, you know, in, in, in applause or whatever there is, uh, acknowledgements. And that was really helpful to again, build my brand. So we want to use LinkedIn as an inside connection tool, but also as a great way to build our brands. Okay. And if you've got people that you want to meet on LinkedIn, be sure to ask for the quality introduction. One thing that I teach that's really critical and, and I find helpful is how to qualify the people that you're speaking with or that you want to speak to. So it used to be that I would just meet with anyone for any reason. And what I have found that that's a tremendous amount of, of wasted time, not because I don't want to be friendly to everybody and build my brand and go out and, but your time is money. And when you think about where you need to spend your time, if you recall, it's going to be with prospective clients, qualified strategic partners, and people that are connectors, people that are inside connectors. The acronym TALENT is what I'd like you to use moving forward to qualify the people that you're talking to to understand if they're worth spending more time with. And if you can figure this out in a five or 10 minute phone call or an email exchange, it's going to make you more efficient with how you do your business development and networking efforts. The first thing I try to figure out is, is this person trustworthy? So if somebody says they're going to meet with me on a certain date or connect with me on a certain date and then they blow it off or they reschedule multiple times, I'm already getting a feeling that this is someone that, that can commit and then that breaks the commitments they've made. And that's not a great sign. And I get it that it happens and people get busy and, and, and sometimes it's a, a court appearance or something that pops up. But overall, if I see that it's, it's, it's not being treated, like my time isn't valued like they value their time then I feel like there's a break in trust. It may not be a good long-term fit for me. Is that person an authority? If you're talking to someone that's an absolute authority in their space, that's going to be much more helpful because not only do you feel comfortable with them that they know what they're talking about, but think if you're going to refer somebody and they're not an authority, that could really backfire on you. And I could tell you some really interesting stories about times that it backfired on me because I didn't do my due diligence making sure that someone's an authority in their area. Another one is likability. There are people that, um, they're just bad people. Uh, They're crazy with their ego. They think they know everything. They talk over you. They're a one-up. They they one-up you everything you say. They're just not likable. And while they might know a lot of people that could be referable to you, I I weigh that out to having to deal with them. And I, I generally choose on the latter, not dealing with people that I don't like. So it's really something important that if you're gonna refer someone, but you don't like them, makes it very tough to do. So I really, really like Josh Lerner. And that helps me not only refer him because he's good, but refer him because I like him and I know he's going to take care of people and come across like he comes across with me. The next one is network. It's better to get involved with someone who has a very large network or a, a, a movable network than someone who knows no one. 
if you're thinking about a referral partner or a strategic partner that's going to refer you business back and forth, it helps if they know people. So that's just another point. Again, if you want to start with someone at the very beginning of their career because you see in five years it's going to pay out, certainly you can do that. But for your time and for your efforts, if you can find people that already have an existing network with lots of clients, if you're looking to meet CEOs and GCs and you're dealing with a lawyer that has a whole stable of those clients, that's better than someone who doesn't know anybody or works under someone else's umbrella and doesn't have access to those clients. And then lastly is it, it helps to also work with someone who's a top player. So that could be the owner of the company. It could be a sales leader in that company. It could be a consultant with many years of experience. But I want someone who, who, who is anxious and actively looking to help me and, and have me help them. And I'm going to wrap this up on a point that's really interesting. I compare it to the end of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And I apologize if you haven't seen that, but here's a spoiler alert. At the end of the movie, Indiana Jones has to go through a bunch of challenges to get to the Holy Grail, which gives him, you know, life forever, okay? And in doing so, there's all these challenges he has to go through. And I consider networking to be very similar. For you to go from, and I'm going to pick on Jeremy because he's an easy target. For me to say to Jeremy, let's get together and network, and the idea being that he's got a couple lawyers that he could refer to me and I can help him in some way, that's a great idea. And we should all be doing that. However, the problem is, is that there's so many pitfalls that can happen between me coming up with the idea to talk to Jeremy and Jeremy actually executing effectively on getting me in front of a decision maker. There's a bunch of gaps in, in between what I want to do and where it actually goes. So when I mentioned that networker earlier in the, in the presentation about he was a nine out of 10 as far as like being active networking, but only a two or three as it related to results. It's primarily because he was missing the methodology I'm about to share with you, the steps that I'm teaching people to hit that most people don't think about, or they do, but maybe they miss one or two. And sometimes that's all it takes to die on the vine as it relates to getting results. So the first thing I talk about is, especially meeting somebody new, you're going to want to set up a game plan or agenda with them. That includes setting the time, the purpose, the expectations, and the outcome. Most networking exchanges are just two people getting together, talking over each other, saying, this sounds great, you sound great, I sound great, let's keep our eyes open for each other. And that's the end of it, right? And you move on and they move on and nothing really happens. So I'm, I'm not doing that. What I'm trying to do is I'm not only trying to get something of value out of that meeting for them and for me, but I'm also trying to qualify using the talent. Is this someone that I really want to get engaged with? Is this someone I want to start recruiting onto my team? That's an important step. So this agenda sets up so that we're not just talking over each other and, and just making this a big mess. So what I'm doing by setting that agenda is controlling the meeting in a friendly way. I'm also trying at the end of the meeting to coach Jeremy to come up with a name or two of people that he believes would be good to engage with for me. Okay. Now, one of the ways that he's going to do that is if I can come up with one or two names for him. So as he's talking and telling me about Operation Palm Tree, I'm thinking about the solos. I'm thinking about the people I know and how I could add value for him. Once I've done that, then it's going to be natural for Jeremy to say, all right, Stephen, how can I help you? Then what I need to do is help coach him to a name or two. Because the reality is that most people need a little prodding, a little help, a little assistance coming up with specifically who they can introduce you to. And getting names on the table is the best way to do that at the time that you're meeting, not a year from now, okay? Then once I have a name, I want to also coach him to make a quality introduction. That's what QI stands for. 
I say referrals suck. And I believe that if somebody gives you a name and number and says, call this person and you do it, it might be a wild goose chase. So what I would rather say is I appreciate that. Would you mind doing me one more favor? And they say, sure, Steve, what'd you have in mind? Would you mind calling this person or emailing this person, talking me up, letting them know what my value is, seeing if they're open to speaking with me. And then if they say yes, then do an email introduction so that I can then take it from there. And of course, the benefit or value is getting someone to boost you up and put you on a pedestal much better than me calling someone blind out of nowhere because Jeremy says, this is a good guy, you should talk to him. So I'm not saying those are, those are people you should you know, say no to, but you want to try to take it a little further and get your friend, you know, your, your new networking buddy to help execute for you. Okay. And then of course, have a step forward. So I could say, Jeremy, here's what I'm going to do for you. Here's what you've said you're going to do for me. Today's Friday. Why don't we catch back up for a five minute check-in call next week on Friday? Let's make sure that we've done what we said we're going to do. And again, we're not just doing this to get something accomplished for each other, but keep in mind, I'm testing Jeremy. Jeremy blows off the call. Jeremy reschedules the call twice. Jeremy didn't make the introductions that he had promised. This is giving me information that Jeremy may not actually be a great strategic partner for me. He's committing and then breaking commitments. This is not necessarily a great fit long-term. Of course, that's not what Jeremy would do. He follows through, okay? So recapping, we want to get our ducks in a row. We want to identify sweet spots, get that marketing plan, send it to me. I'll help you improve it. Get that infomercial together. You know, create that, that uh, unique differentiator. Grow your brand through LinkedIn. And of course, using some of my methodologies, to start being more effective and efficient as it relates to networking, okay? With that, I'm going to say thank you again, and I appreciate you taking some time this morning. Thanks, everybody. Be safe. Take care. Thanks for listening to Be That Lawyer, life-changing strategies and resources for growing a successful law practice. Visit Steve's website, fretson.com, for additional information and to stay up to date on the latest legal business development and marketing trends. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out today's show notes.